uh, I get the privilege of being part of this first series called Risen. And we've had an amazing time uh, remembering the sacrifice of Jesus and then celebrating his resurrection. It's not just something we do in these weeks, but we live in that reality all throughout the year that we have a risen Savior who has been victorious over sin and death. And uh, in this first series, let's see here. I don't know if we have to do the, the first click. Oh, we're working on it. Anyway, we're going to be talking about following the mission of a risen Savior. Following uh, the mission of a risen Savior. Now, I don't want to talk about this a lot. It's not, um, it's not really part of the message. I thought, you know what, I'm here. I want to give you just a really quick update. We're going to be going back in two months. We didn't really know where we were going to be going back, what we were going to be doing. That's more defined now. And so we'll be probably involved in three ministries. We'll be returning to the, the C3 Alliance Church and working with the, the Mexican leaders there. Uh, we don't want to take upfront roles because our whole thing is not to take over, not to become or to create dependency, but rather to bless, support, to equip, to disciple, to release uh, our Mexican leaders as that church grows. So that's exciting. Another part we'll be working in the school. Uh, the school, man, that has been such a struggle. Continue to pray for the Bridgeway School. This seems like there's spiritual block after spiritual block. Um, we don't really do the business side of it, although I'm on the board, but rather the ministry mobilization, how we can continue to see this school even more reach out to families who don't know Jesus. And then being part of missions and mobilization. Uh, working with pastors and churches all over Mexico to see them reach the unreached in Mexico and even send Mexican missionaries all over the place. And so that's what we'll be returning to in the, uh, the coming, the coming uh, weeks or years, I guess, as we go back to Mexico. So thank you so much for your prayers. So I've got to say, that all sounds really good, doing mission work, going to another country, or, or maybe even just sharing your faith with your friends. But there's a lot of people who are asking the question, is that even a good thing? Maybe that's not you. Maybe it is. That's okay. But there is a ton of people saying, should we even be doing missions work? Should we even be bothering people with our faith in Jesus Christ? And what gives us the right to want to tell other people about that and say that our way is right and their way is wrong? Maybe that's a bit of a harsh way in saying it, but that is something important that we should probably be looking at. And we need to be asking those questions. Some people say, should we be reinforcing Western values onto these countries? They're doing really good. What makes our thing better than theirs? There's even books written like that one, The Very Worst Missionary. I don't recommend it. It's not the best book. It's full of language from a former missionary who says that missions is just a big scam. But there's a lot of people who believe that. And I don't know if you've heard of the comedian John Christ, uh, but he has a certain idea of missions and especially short-term missions. And I want to show you a quick video. You might be wondering, okay, you talked at the beginning about we're here in week one of a risen Savior, and then you shared some mission stuff, and now we're doing this. Give me a moment, and I'm going to tie it all together. But you know what? I've been on mission trips like that. I'm going to share about a little bit of that in, the, in a bit. But what is missions? Or what is living missionally? 
living missionally over there or right here in our neighborhood? Should we be doing missions? Should we desire to impact people or should we just leave them be and quit bothering them? These are some great questions. And you know what? We have to look at the Bible for the answers. No matter what we think, no matter what other people think, whether it's from 20 years ago or right now, we need to look at the Bible for our answers. And I really love this idea of last words. So we celebrated that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. He rose again, showing that he was victorious. He spent some time meeting with different uh, of his followers, his disciples, and then just before returning to heaven, he had some last words. And the last words are hugely important. Could you imagine if you were about to die? So you've, you, you're, you're sick, you, maybe you have cancer, you know that you might have only a few days or a few hours left and your kids are with you, and your family's around, and you have some last words. Your mind is still totally there. You're going to say, what do I want to leave with my kids? What words do I want to leave? And you're going to put a lot of effort into that. Or maybe it would be somebody that you love and care about. Maybe it's a grandparent or a parent or a friend, and they're the one who is just about to leave this earth. And they're giving you their last words. Are you going to be off in the corner on your phone looking at Facebook? Or are you going to be like, no, this is important. Last words are important. Maybe those words will be the summary of everything that has been important to them or everything that they want to leave with you. Well, Jesus in Mark 16 leaves us with some of his last words. So he, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all of creation. Or in some other translations it reads, and he, Jesus, said to them, as you go into all the world, preach openly the wonderful news of the gospel to the entire human race. Or Jesus said to his followers, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. And it's not just in, in Mark, by the way. It's also in Matthew 28, 19, Luke 24, 47, John 20, 21, Acts 1, 8. It's all over the place. And so you know last words recorded throughout all of the, the, uh, the stories, the books of the Bible who tell about Jesus. These are important words. And why is that? Well, you know what? It's God's heart, God's passion that everyone know Jesus. It's God's heart and God's passion that everyone know Jesus. And this isn't anything new. Jesus didn't just suddenly, you know, at the end, just before returning to heaven, say, by the way, this is something that's really important to me. No, this has been God's heart and passion from the beginning of time. All of scripture points to this reality let me say that again. All of Scripture points to that reality. I love the Kairos course. If you ever have the chance to take the Kairos course, it's all about God's heart for the nations, God's heart for people, do it. But it spends an entire day just going through Scripture and showing how Scripture points to this heart, this passion of God. So it's not just that this idea is in the Bible. The Bible basically contains the story of this truth, that it's God's heart, 
God's passion that everyone know Jesus. And I was going to go through and kind of explain this and go through it, but I found this video that does an excellent job of it. So I'm going to show you this short teaching video that shows from right from the beginning of the Bible, the beginning of time, however you want to work that Abraham, covenant with Abraham, all the way through to now, how we see God's heart for the nations all over Scripture. I love how that ends. He invites us into that mission. He invites us into that story. I might even say it stronger. He calls us into that mission. He calls us into the story but will we join his story? Will we be a part? Why should we join his story? It's pretty clear. How should we join his story? What does it even mean to join the story? That's some of the, the questions we need to answer. Jesus taught it. He left us with those last words, the last words of a risen Savior. He preached it. He lived it. And he told stories about it. And I just want to look at a few stories this morning. Stories of lost. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son to get an idea of God's heart and how can we can maybe have that same heart. So in Luke 15, uh, 1 to 32, I'm not going to read every verse, but if you want to follow along, I'm going to be in, in Luke now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home and he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is beginning to give us an idea of Jesus' heart. There are 100 sheep. He's still got 99. Those are the ones who, who haven't left. But there's that one who's lost. And that one is so important that he's going to leave the 99 and he's going to search and find that one. We sing that song, Reckless Love. It's not that this is love that's, you know, just kind of abandoned, but this is love that's so deep. Jesus' heart to find that one lost person, that one lost sheep. Sometimes I don't understand that kind of passion. And yet I see it in my kids. Maybe not yet to the deep sense of people or their lost friends, but I don't know if you've noticed this, but Amaya has like a gazillion stuffies. It's probably closer to maybe about 100 in there. And she knows every one of these. I, I'm, I'm amazed. We go to secondhand stores or grad sales or people give us these things. I have no idea what we're going to do in two months when we go back to Mexico because she's going to cry and wail as she has to leave some of these here. But she's got all these stuffies. If she misses one, she is distraught. She is searching all over the place. She's tearing her room apart. She's tearing the house apart until she can find her one lost stuffy because every one of her stuffies are massively important to her. Or there's, this, the story continues in verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, 
sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels over one sinner who repents. So we're continuing to get that idea that lost things, lost people are important to Jesus. Then there's the third story. And it talks about a man who has two sons. And the younger son is just not really the nicest guy. He's like, you know what? I'm going to get your inheritance when you die. So why don't you just give it to me now so I can go and use it? Because I really don't want to hang out here anymore. So his dad says, okay, fine. Here it is. Here's, the, uh, here's, the, here's your inheritance. The son takes it, goes off to another land, parties hugely hard, has tons of friends. Because when you have tons of money, you have tons of friends. Money runs out. Friends goes away. And he, he's left basically feeding pigs. And he's so hungry that he's looking at these pigs. Man, it's like, man, I wish I could eat what they were eating. And suddenly it clicks on him. He's like, I am so foolish. It's like, the guys who were working for my dad have it way better than me. I'm going to go and I'm just going to say, Dad, I don't deserve to be your son. I just want to be your servant. Will you welcome me, will you welcome me back? And so it continues in verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I think we're getting this. But then something very interesting happens right after. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Well, your brother has come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Now the older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you have never, that you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I wonder if sometimes we're like that older son. Maybe we're not as antagonistic. Maybe we're not as complaining or whining. But we look at that and say... What? Why? God, I'm here. I've been obeying you. I've been following you. I come to church. I serve. How come, how come you're so into the lost people? No, no, maybe it's not that antagonistic, although maybe it is. I'm looking at what's happening in the news nowadays uh, with, you know, bombings first in New Zealand and then bombings in Sri Lanka, and then people, Christians getting killed, and Muslims and Christians, and you kind of got both sides going on, and people are getting angry. 
and they're starting to, to divide sides. Or I think about a lady uh, at the Kairos course in January when I was helping to facilitate, and she's like, before I came here, I was getting really angry because here in my neighborhood, all these people are coming from different countries and they're bringing their culture and their ways and, and their smells and their religion. She's like, that's not my town. My town is like this and this and this, and we're Christians. I don't know if that was true, but she was really angry that these people would come from her place. This was a lady who was well into her, her 60s. And she came to this course, she's like, wait, God loves those people. He loves me, he loves my neighbors, he loves all those people who are coming from all those countries to live right beside me. So maybe we're not that antagonistic, but could we maybe be complacent? Could we maybe say, well, it's really just not that important? Or could we be too busy? Say, well, you know what, I'm doing this and I go to work and I'm involved in this church program and forget about June to September because I'm probably at the lake in a cabin somewhere. So that's just a total write-off for those three months. So maybe do we do a lot of focus on ourselves, kind of like in that video, the us, 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 and we start to forget God's heart for the lost. Our lost neighbors, our lost coworkers, our lost classmates, the lost right here in our communities, the lost all over Canada, First Nations people, the lost all over the world. It's not easy. I get that. But it's from taking our focus on me, on us, to having the heart and the passion of a risen Savior, whose last words were, go, Go and teach, go and share, go and preach, go and make disciples. I look at Philippians 2. I love this passage. In Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, it reads, And consider the example of Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become our motivation. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself. He became vulnerable. Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. And it goes on later on. Everything and everyone will one day submit to this name in the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and in the demonic realm. And every tongue will proclaim, in every language, Jesus Christ is Lord Yahweh, bringing glory and honor to God the Father. Jesus was obedient to his Father. He didn't say, I'm God. He said, no, I want to follow the will of my Father, and my Father's heart is that all would have freedom in me. Or in Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, Hebrews 11 gives a list of all these amazing saints in the Bible. These people were faithful to God's call. And Hebrews 12 continues, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. 
Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's gone in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in the faith, go over that story again and again, item by item. That long litany of hostility plowed through, that will shoot a gentleman through your souls. I think about that idea of pioneers. And we got so many examples in the Bible. First and foremost, Jesus. If you're ever wondering, what do I need to do? Just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What should it be? What's God's heart? There's so much in there. But God has given us other examples in the Bible and other examples throughout history. And some of my uh, kind of heroes of the faith, pioneers, are guys like William Carey. I don't know if you knew this, but throughout a lot of uh, time in the world, people didn't really think about sharing their faith. They kind of had their own little thing going on and maybe monasteries, and they were doing theirs. And suddenly, not that long ago, we're just talking a few hundred years ago, they look, it's like, wait, there's lost people in other parts of the world. We know Jesus here. They don't know Jesus. Jesus says we should go. I don't know why it took them, like, literally, they had 14, 1,500 years where that wasn't a thing. I know the, it was different then. You can't just hop on a plane and go. You got on a boat, it took months, you probably died. It was a big commitment. They said, no, there are lost people. God's heart is for the lost. We need to go. And so he went and he started to reach out to the coastland. Or, or Hudson Taylor said, well, okay, great, we've reached out to the coastland people. What about the other people further in? Yeah, that's harder to go in, but that he sent people even further in. Or, or guys like Cameron Townsend and Donald McGavran said, you know, I look at the Bible and it seems like it's all about unreached people groups. So we need to be looking and say, where are the people who don't know Jesus and let's get to them and tell them all about Jesus. And we have those unreached people groups right here in Winnipeg from all over the world and people from Canada. The First Nations people are an unreached people group in a lot of ways. And yet they're unreached people groups all over the place. So I know that Hebrews 12 isn't talking about them, but I think we can expand it a little bit. As I look at that, and say, well, we run that race. As we look at some of these pioneers, these people who inspire us in the Bible or throughout history, will our hearts beat with the Heavenly Father's heart for the nations? We've talked about giving. We've talked about going. We've talked about praying. Those are all really important things. We should be giving to missions, giving to see unreached people reached. We should be praying, absolutely. Many of us should be going, or maybe all of us should be going, but maybe that looks a little different some ways. Sometimes I looked, remember that short-term mission video trip? I've been on trips like that, and I used to get kind of really angry and say, oh, why do we even do short-term trips like that anymore? This doesn't make any sense. We're just doing things and maybe even creating dependency. But then I started to look and say, you know what? I went on a trip like that. I don't think I did any good in those couple of months that I was away in Brazil in 1991. But you know what? God gave me a heart for the nations. He gave me a heart for lost people. And others say, well, you shouldn't go until you have a heart here. Like, you know what? If God gives you a heart for people over there, great. If God gives you a heart for people over here, great. 
it doesn't really matter as long as God's heart starts to get into our heart and we put it into practice. That's really the most important thing. So how do we put it into practice? What are some really practical ways? I think first and foremost, we need to check our heart. And I preach this to me because I can get so busy. Busy even doing ministry. Busy doing church stuff that I forget that my neighbor is lost and doesn't know Jesus. Or I'm so busy running around Mexico that I pass this person who you can tell is obviously hurting and yet I don't stop to to talk or maybe say, can I pray with you or how can I help you? And that starts first most with my heart. So I want to pray, Jesus, give me your heart. Give me your heart for lost people. Help me to see with, with your eyes, to hear with your ears, to think with your mind. Give me your heart. I love that song that we sing sometimes called Build My, My Life. And it has part of the chorus that says, Fill me with your heart, lead me in your love to those around me. There's always a, fill me with this so that I can go. And then, get outside your box. What, what do I mean by that? Do I mean to think creatively? No. We sometimes become really comfortable in our bubble. And we don't even know what's happening all over the world. Uh, we got to be thinking about that. So how can we do that? How can we have that same thing? Well, expand our worldview. Read a ton. Maybe read missionary biographies. Read the news, not just the local news. See what's happening all over the world. Dig deep into that. Start to think about it even more so. If you don't like reading, go on YouTube and just search missionary biography or what is God doing in the world? These faith stories, man, they encourage me. Go to a missions conference. I think about expanding a worldview. Maybe I talked about how I talked about sometimes short-term trips. Back in 1998, I did one of the most ridiculous things ever, joined with a bunch of other youth pastors when I was in Swift Current, and we took 150 youth on three buses down to Tijuana, Mexico for a missions trip. The idea of 150 youth on a missions trip is completely ridiculous. It's just, it's, it, we didn't do anything good. It was, it was, but these two people were young people. I met them again five years ago, and they're from Arviat. Arviat, like way up there in Nunavut. There's 2,000 people in that community. You can only get in and out by plane. Their worldview was really teeny. Well, they went on this mission trip, and now their worldview is so much bigger that they know how to pray for what God is doing all over the place. And finally, be a blessing. Be a blessing. You want to know how your heart can grow? Start, take that us out of the, the picture and start to think about others. How can you be a blessing to other people? Look for ways to serve. Maybe specifically with those that don't know Jesus. Maybe it's serving with immigrants. Maybe it's helping them with their taxes. Maybe it's doing English conversation class. The wardrobe thing is coming here soon. What an amazing way. Maybe it's serving right here in the church because there's going to be a lot of kids who come from the community and you can just love on them. When you love on kids, it makes a difference. We see that at the school in Mexico. When we love on the kids, it changes families all over the place. Look for ways to be a blessing. You could start a language conversation class. If your kids are in school, you can look for ways to invite them over or invite their family over. Did you know that most immigrant families have never been in the home of a non-immigrant Canadian? This is really interesting. 
They come from another country for whatever reason. Some come under really good means. Others come because they're being persecuted or they're going, it's really dangerous. Or maybe they're just even looking for a better life. But suddenly they, they arrive to a new place that's cold as anything compared to where they're coming from. And they don't know the language. They don't know the culture. And they're terribly lonely. Can you imagine what it would be like to get to know them and say, you want to come over to my house for coffee, for supper, for lunch? And to simply love on them, not as projects, not with the idea of, well, I want to share this with you. Yeah, you probably will have that opportunity, but first it's going to start by living out that love. So those are things. My heart, my prayer is that God would give me that heart. Here in Canada, here in Manitoba, here in Winnipeg, but then all over the place. And when I go to Mexico, I want the Mexicans to have such a heart that they're not just receiving, but they're learning and reaching out to the unreached in Mexico and even going to other places to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. So the risen Jesus is calling us to join his mission. Will we respond? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that from the beginning of time, your heart, your passion was to see people know you so that they can honor and glorify you. And God, we look even back to the nation of Israel, and they were your chosen people not to just be a blessing to receive, but chosen to declare who you are all throughout the world. So Lord, I pray that you would fill us, fill us with your heart, expand our worldview, and and not just to know things, but I want to know your worldview. We want to have your heart, your passion, your eyes, your mind continually fill us. But then maybe we feel so much that we just have to be a blessing to those around us. At the end of the day, it's all about saying, Jesus, it's about you. I give everything to you. I pray this in your name, Jesus.